Good evening, afternoon, night, morning, whatever you want to call this thing, wherever you find your time to watch or listen to this. It is me, Omar, back from back from a week hiatus in the field uh, for hardware with my friend, my my good friend, Jackson. And I got to say, thank you, Brock. I got to say, I was thinking about it today. Brock, Brock Vieira, our friend Brock of uh, Midnight Sports Today of Team NBS Media, he's like our PJ Walker. Anytime one of us is out, he just steps in and just performs admirably pj walker being my favorite backup quarterback in the league um but yeah like he's our he's our pj walker so i hope brock sees this uh we'll probably you know clip this and you know tag him but shout out to brock our pj walker this podcast yeah brock did a phenomenal job he's already such a busy guy so i appreciate him i've i sometimes i struggle to find the time sometimes to do all the prep and the recording for this he's when i was asking him hey where can we find your stuff he named pretty much all 32 teams of the national football league that he covers for various media outlets and then you know his college football podcast that he has and there's other one like oh my like man he is a busy dude he's dedicated and he's as not there's not a topic that he talks about that he's not knowledgeable and it has an informed doesn't have an informed opinion about. I mean, he is a smart dude. Um, love listening to him, love listening to his stuff. So yeah, shout out to Brock. Thanks so much for, I mean, I learned a few things from it. Um, hopefully he did too, but man, um, Brock's the best man. So I uh, thank you again. Yes. Let's clip this. Cause he was, he was awesome for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, what a week it was. I know I got to ca- catch some games, um, in my off time, you know, uh, during during the field exercise, but a week, a good week of college football. Um, I mean, you know, just some exciting games. I know I caught a little bit of uh, Duke versus Florida State. Uh, that was that that was after the first quarter. Me watching the first quarter of a Michigan Michigan State, just because I love uh the Big Ten Saturday Night theme song. But just a great week. So I mean, Jackson. I mean, you have some players. We both have some players of the week. So I, I say we start with those, and we have a we have a spirited discussion um with, with a couple of with one or two of our players of the week on offense or defense yes we do yes we do so um I will start off with my offensive player of the week I'm gonna go with Ollie Gordon the running back from Oklahoma State 29 rushes for 282 yards four touchdowns in a huge win versus West Virginia watching him probably my, my favorite trait of his is just his spatial awareness He's not a a go hard straight line run you over runner. He's he's extremely methodical, not in the sense of Le'Veon Bell where he's like patient walks up to the line of scrimmage. Like he goes hard, but each step that he takes is the optimal one. Like it it really only comes from from film studies and active eyes that he really has. Um Gordon just his vision and everything is is superb. So um, every year, and he's been consistent all year. He's either had 120 yards or at least one touchdown in six of his seven games. So he's been a performer all year long. I want to point out it's rare that a running back is the one to kind of bail you out of a shootout. Um, but like they did against West Virginia, but he's been doing this for a while back in high school. He actually ran for six touchdowns and a 49 45 win to advance to this, uh, to his playoff quarterfinals. So, um, I promise I'm not an Oklahoma state fan. I know I went with the Cowboy as my defensive player of the week last week, but man, I just, I recognize the talent that Mike Gundy has recruited and developed out there. So, Ali Gordon, uh, phenomenal performance and uh, put West Virginia kind of in their place last week. Yeah, so I mean, honestly, I was ready to give up on on Oklahoma State 
um, a few weeks ago after the loss, 33 to seven to South Alabama, probably the most embarrassing loss for a Big 12 team in a long time. You, I mean, you, you could argue yeah. the most embarrassing loss of the year, too. I know the Virginia loss is bad, I know there have been a couple others, but man, bro, like that, yeah. you, you could, you could. There was not a more unexpected could, yeah. double digit loss, in my opinion. Exactly. So, I mean, I mean, I wrote them off, but they are sitting at a nice five and two, which makes that game a head scratcher. They look primed to go to one of the Big 12's better bowls. I have them slated to go to the Alamo Bowl and my bowl projections against USC of all teams. Uh, But I mean, Mike Gundy's just been able to recruit throughout his time. Just amazing running back talent. Um, you look at Chuba Hubbard ran for 2000 yards in 2019. And then you go back further to when I was a kid, you got a guy like Kendall Hunter, you know, former Niners Niners back who, uh, you know, did well in a backup role for the 49ers and Keith Tosin. So just great running back talent. Uh, how, how many times do you think in speaking of Mike Gundy recruiting really good running backs, how many times do you think he, he mentions uh, the obvious? I think, I think Barry he Sanders. does. I think he does it. I'm showing Barry Sanders highlights. Yeah, I think he does it way more than uh, than San Diego State does because San Diego State, I don't know how they have been able to recruit great running back talent, you know, uh, lately. Which that is a discussion for another time. So I'm gonna go. So I'm gonna go with my offensive player of the week. I got Matthew Sluka for Holy Cross, and yes, it was in a losing effort. Yes, the passing stats were not there, but this is the gentleman. This is a man. Not even the Zach Wilson, the Seven Hills anymore. Like this is. Like what we're seeing is like this is like Pat White level. This is the this is the Lamar Jackson of the Seven Hills. I'll, I'll call him the Lamar Jackson because 330 rushing yards, the most by a Division One quarterback ever, even more than Khalil Tate when Khalil Tate had that great run in 2017. In a losing effort though, because Holy Cross lost to Lafayette. Who Lafayette? I I I don't want to say I told you so, everyone, but I had Lafayette ranked before everyone in the poll. I'm I'm just saying that, and I and I said that they were a contender for an at large bid in my polls. I will say that. Um, so I will say I know ball. But anyway, Lafayette beat Holy Cross at Fitton Field, and it looks like Holy Cross run. Well, I mean, the four straight titles. It was an amazing run in the Patriot League. Looks like it's over as Holy Cross hits at four and three with one conference loss, and really they need Lafayette to lose two games. Um, and the Patriot League has a I think seven game conference season six. Or, I think it's a six game conference season. There's seven teams, so good luck getting Lafayette losing twice to the rest of the Patriot League, which the Patriot League lacks depth. But I mean, Matthew Sluka, in my opinion. So I saw that Malik, I, I can see him playing a Malik Cunningham type role on a team where a team wants to have him around and just find ways to get him the ball. Because I know the Patriots lined up Malik Cunningham for, at quarterback for a couple snaps this week. Play, they played him at receiver. So I can see a similar situation with Matthew Sluka because this man is just, he is one of the most gifted runners in Holy Cross history, in, in the history of the Patriot League and in college football right now. Okay. All right. So, so we had this debate like off air too, but we'll, we'll yes. have this debate um during this again. So, okay. I have just a, a fundamental um moral objection to a quarterback who went seven for 21, no matter how many rushing yards he has getting offensive player of the week, much less than a losing effort. So did Shluka have a great performance? You know what? I even say that it was a great performance um was he on his best uh on his best behavior so to speak throwing the ball no no he was not and that's your main objective I guess no that's a lie your main objective as a quarterback is to score points which that he did but yeah, after that, you need to be able to distribute the ball you need to be able to distribute the ball 
Um, when do you uh, and when do you need to be good at passing the ball? When do you need a strong passing game? When is it most needed? When you're behind? When you're behind? Holy Cross came out at one point in the game early in the third quarter down 24-7, right? So they needed to pass the ball. Now, what got them back into the game was a 70-yard Sluka rush, rushing touchdown, yes. uh, which accounted for you know a pretty good chunk of those rushing yards. So I'm not saying he didn't have a great performance. I'm just saying that uh that you know at at best holy cross didn't play complimentary football and the defense didn't really help them out allowing multiple like 40 plus yard touchdowns i think they allowed like three 40 plus yard touchdowns so holy cross at best didn't play complimentary football and at worst you had a quarterback who um was kind of like penn state has been against ohio state they they got competitive but they couldn't get over the edge they couldn't get over the hump. So oh, I see the points you're making, but I feel like I feel like you're reflecting a lot of football fans' fixation on the passing game instead of looking at the fact that a, a guy ran for 330 yards, a quarterback ran for over 10 yards a carry. It's like I just don't know what more you want him to do because he ran for 10 yards per carry. It's not like he had 40 carries for 330. He had only had 28 carries, you know. So and the conditions were wet. The ball was wet. Good. And... It was good. It was good. As a quarterback, um, I'm not saying wins are wins aren't necessarily always a quarterback stat. And I'm not saying this one was. This loss isn't on him, but it's um it, it was not enough. They didn't win the game by match Luca running the ball. Okay, that's no. a good point. Well, you're you're yeah. really gonna enjoy so, this discussion later on so, for our yeah. Heisman well, talk. We we can continue this. I don't think we're gonna resolve this. I don't, um, I don't think so because yeah, yeah, I, I I'm just saying so. I'm saying that Matthew Sluka will find himself on a roster. A team will, will figure out that he is dangerous with the ball in his hands um, in the NFL. Maybe he's not as polished as a passer, you know, but I know a team will find a use for him, Listen, you know. One of, one of the, the greatest quarterback performances that you could argue was, uh, I, I believe, Anthony Richardson last year against LSU. Didn't work out. Not raving about it. Wasn't a player of the week. Could have deserved to win that game, but he didn't. So, Anthony Richardson and Player of the Week are two words that do not belong in the same sentence. So uh, uh, that is that with, is with uh, that man. With that, I will uh, I will move on. Man, um, wow. that is that. I'll I'll move all right. On. Well, we'll just move on. You know what? We've yeah. both touched sore spots for each other. We'll just move on. So, um, I'll start off with my defensive Player of the Week, Alec Mock, the linebacker from Air Force. Uh, in just seven pass run snaps against Navy, he had a quarterback hit and two quarterback hurries, uh, another five tackles and one forced fumble, um, and another two defensive stops, which is a, a analytic that kind of considers a tackle that warrants a failure on the offensive side. So Olive Mock with a heck of a game, uh, a win versus Air Force that could have been, I, I, I had them winning. Um, I wasn't really worried about it, but it could I could have seen it being a sneaky loss. So, um, Alec Mock with a, a heck of a performance against Navy. So, yeah, I think I don't. I don't think people. I think people will focus on, um, you know, the offense, how the triple option rolled again for Air Force. But that Air Force defense is probably one of the greatest defensive performances I've seen in my life because, you know, yeah, Navy got those yards at the end and they got the touchdown, the late touchdown. But entering the fourth quarter, Navy only had I think eleven yards total offense. Like, I have never seen an offense. I guess. You know, in FCS versus FBS matchups, like, yes, that happens. I don't think I've ever seen it in a defense have a more dominating performance um, through three quarters. 
But of course, you know, like they, they let up, but I mean, air force has had a great defense for the past few years. And I mean, they are, they are well equipped um, the rest of the way. So we'll see if they run the table because I think they're the story of the year for co- in college football. I mean, even against Sam Houston, against Sam Houston, they allowed 80 yards of offense to the Bearcats. So just an impressive defense all around. And Alex Mock leads that. And they have some sweet unis too. They do little raid uniforms are great. You know, great yeah, uniforms. Those, those were good. I, I will say those were good. Yeah, Air Force always brings the heat with the Legacy Series. Not even going to lie to you. I've been tempted to buy a couple, especially the Red Tails one. I'm an Army fan, but the Red Tails one was was nice just for everything it stood for. I still have held off because I cannot buy that. That would be like you, Jackson, buying a Georgia or a uh, or a Florida State jersey. I, I just yeah, can't no, do it. never going to happen. I don't care what they oh, were. So. I can't yeah, do it. Never going to happen. Um, I do to... remember during Army Air Force week a, a year or so ago, I wore my Red Tails jersey on the show. So See, exactly. That, that annoyed so I'm you. And then here you are saying you want to buy one. So, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm tempted to buy one. But, yeah, like, um, yeah, you know, Tuskegee Airmen, it's a good, it's a good thing to honor. I'll go with my player of the week. I got linebacker Alex Harriet, who had 16 tackles for uh, the, the Presbyterian Blue Hose in, in a game against Marist. And Presbyterian seems to, seems to be producing just great linebackers because I remember back in the pandemic season when we first started covering the FCS extensively, uh, Colby Campbell had 25 tackles. I think that set the record until a year later when Ryan Greenhagen had like 27 tackles against uh, Nebraska, but just great linebacker play from the blue holes all around. I mean, and stopping Marist or holding Marist on only 185 yards was no small task as Marist is, you know, having a very good year in the pioneer football league. I mean, and, you know, we could end up having a three-way tie in the PFL that, you know, we, that I, I guess there's like, might have to go down to the fourth or fifth tiebreaker, but that's another discussion for another time. Uh, Going on to our HBCU Players League, I'll start with mine. I'm going to go with Jarvian Howard for Alcorn State. For Sorry, not Alcorn, Alcorn oh, State. Man. Alcorn State oh. out of Mormon, Mississippi. My bad. I, I know. We'll have to edit that out. Alcorn State, Jarvian Howard. And Jarvian Howard is an under-the-radar back for sure. I mean, I, I feel like people have forgotten about Alcorn State since, you know, Jackson State took over the SWAC in 2021 and 2022. But Alcorn State has been playing some nice football. Um, you know, not not bad football. I'll say, I'll I'll say that. But I mean, Jarvin Howard had 14 carries for 155 yards last year. He had over 200 carries, averaged over 20 carries per game, and had 1,200 yards. Uh, they beat Arkansas Pine Bluff easily, 31 to seven, to go go on to four and three. Even though the Swackies looks like it belongs to FAMU, but Jarvin Howard, I mean, this is this is a guy that I de- I definitely think could be a, a workhorse on a team, and he can show he can show a team some stuff in the preseason and end up on a roster even show some stuff in the uh, national spring football league now if you will because the orlando guardians your favorite favorite team the great the great jamain martin jamain the man martin was their starting running back and had some great moments for the guardians this year or this past season so i mean i'm excited for driving howard me ever the running back guy Glad to see him perform at such an efficient clip but you know just feed this man this is the guy that you can feed the ball 20 plus carries you know, per game. Yeah, any of your XFL takes are are usually your second worst takes on Twitter. I will say. Sorry, which league? Which league is having four teams contracted? Yeah, that's not the USFL is getting four teams contracted. So, sorry, Jackson. <laughs> hey, since when do you care about big money football? So that's like you saying. That's like you saying. Hey. Which conference is getting, you know, dissolved? The Pac-12? Yeah, or, you know, whatever whatever example you want to use. So, man, 
It's like you pulling for that. No, the Rock, um, no, the Rock spent $60 million on, on jerseys with his name only, and they couldn't sell any because they were 200 bucks, and that's why they're merging with the, with they, the they were great. They were great jerseys. Um, And the the PB&J, Terramana, Tequila, French Toast, and the, uh, you know, and the, all the concessions and all that. Man, the XFL was perfect. Your worst take on Twitter being that draft day isn't an elite sports movie. Um, It is. I've, I would I've never seen it, to be honest one. with you. Um, I've never seen it. You're missing out. So um, probably the only movie I watch at least once a year. So, um, but yeah, man, I'll I'll move on from your terrible Twitter takes. Um, But man, uh, yeah, yeah, I I can't, I can't even remember um, the the linebacker's name, unfortunately. So um, (laughs) got distracted by your nonsense. I'm going to go with Terrence Holland, the linebacker from Howard. Uh, as my HBCU player of the week. Uh, and I want to give, I do want to, Terrence Holland led the charge. I do want to give an honorable mention to all of Howard's defense on that, on that ESPNU appearance. They had, um, they actually had seven different players each have TFLs, which is insane for a come, come from behind win versus Norfolk state um, for Terrence Holland specifically. He had nine solo tackles, four assists, uh, one of those TFLs did belong to him as well as half a sack. Um, so shout out to shout out to uh, Terrence and then shout out to Aaron Bickerton, the Howard punter, four punts for 124 yards, including a 52 yarder and two that went inside the 20. So uh, this was a close game where special teams mattered, especially in a come from behind win. Um, and, and he made the most of it. So shout out to Aaron Bickerton as well. So um uh omar i want to get your thoughts just on the howard game in general and also if you notice anything from from terrence when you were watching the game yeah so i unfortunately that was not one of the games i was able to watch even though howard it was great that they got the espnu spot uh twenty five thousand viewers tuned in that game that's more than the charlotte SME game which i'm sorry that is the benchmark i'm using for to judge every fcs game on espnu from now on if you draw more than charlotte smu on september 23rd of this this year that you're you're doing just fine you're doing gravy but honestly i think the miak looks more open than you think because i know both of us were singing the praises of north carolina central but on thursday night like more like morgan state actually had date had davius richard like in a hole they they held him pretty well and that game was a low scoring affair that's only only in the end did central i mean north carolina central pull away i forget what the final score was i want to say it was um like 17 to uh to 10 i think uh morgan state scored like a late touchdown to make things interesting but the uh the offense and that that's just been a sticking point for morgan state this year their offense uh where they get in these low scoring affairs and the defense holds their end of the bargain but the offense just struggles um Geez, I, I'm trying to find the score of this game, but I think I think the Miak is wide open. Well, not wide open, but I do think Howard can make some noise. Like Howard, if not this year, then the next year when Davis Richard graduates, then next year the the Miak looks like it could be Howard's. And plus, uh, you know, who's to say that Howard won't get you know Power Five talent from um Power Five talent for the transfer portal because this is a this is a program that has a deal with Jordan. They 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 offer a great education. Larry Scott is a great coach. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if they got some good power five talent out of the portal, but that's just, I guess, to answer your question, I think, um, I, I think the MIAC will come down to um, Howard versus, versus uh, North Carolina central. So if not South Carolina state, cause it's buddy pews last yeah. year, which that's one of my games to watch um, as we'll talk about later on, but 
I'm excited because it's a five game season. It's like no one cares for like for the for the for I guess for the context of North Carolina Central, no one cares that North Carolina Central beat a bunch of CAA teams. It just comes down to yeah. I mean the playoff committee will care if like they lose one conference game, then they're definitely an at large candidate for sure. I think they'll definitely get at large bid. But yeah, no one in the MIAC cares if you beat all these CAA teams. It just matters what you do in those five conference games. In what you said about SC State, at least since I've been following HBCU football, no one likes wreaking havoc on the the grand scheme of HBCU football more than South Carolina State, it seems. In my there are lots of people that watch it a lot more than me. So correct me if I'm wrong, but that that seems to be man, you can't really ever quite count them out completely. So um Yeah, exactly. So I mean, um We'll we'll see for sure. I and I know that race continues. I I kind of like I kind of I like that the MEX has been able to squeeze in more ESPNU appearances to and and not the tape delay one because the you know they do have the tape delay games sometimes that are aired on ESPN Plus or ESPN three like the Howard Hampton game earlier this year when Hampton came back from I think like three touchdowns down, but um but like that was a live game that was at noon. People cared obviously. It was twenty five thousand tuned in with Ohio State Penn State happening at the same time, which is year you're in, you're out the big like probably the second biggest game in the Big Ten, um, and a top five game in the college football playoff race. So it's it's just great to see as a as a as a HBCU football fan. Uh so going on to uh, the crux of our of our show, hardware, let's talk a little about the Heisman race. So I want to start off with something like you told me beforehand. So you mentioned Heisman betting odds, and you mentioned Jaden Daniels being number three. Of course, Michael Penix is number one. Number two surprised me because naturally I was like, oh, Bo Nix has to be the number two betting favorite. But it's J.J. McCarthy, and I'll be the first to say, so I'm a purist. I like parity, but at the same time, I like when traditional programs like Michigan and Notre Dame do well because I think I think it's good for the sport. You know, I think it, it's good. It's good. It's good tradition wise. Um, sorry, I just had a notification come across my screen, but uh, McCarthy, I like watching JJ McCarthy a lot. One of my favorite quarterbacks to watch, but just looking at his stats, averaging just above 200 pass yards a game. And I want to reintroduce a Stetson Bennett effect, which is something that we talked about last year when Stetson Bennett ended up being a Heisman finalist. And I think JJ McCarthy should be the second, the second, I guess I won't say victim, but second person you know listed under the Stetson Bennett effect because I look at these games for Michigan and it's like I feel like Michigan could do good with any quarterback in the Heisman race right now like because their defense is so amazing and the skill the skill position talent like they have two of the best running backs in the country and those guys are splitting carries in Donovan Edwards and Blake Corp not to mention the great receiving core that they have the great defense so I'm kind of I I love JJ McCarthy love watching him play but I'm kind of I'm feeling another Stetson Bennett 2.0 situation here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I would even go as far to say, like you could before it was Stetson Bennett, it was Mac Jones, right? Like a quarterback, um, surrounded by a, a fairly elite team, um, whether they have the the signs or not. Um, sorry, I, I had to make a joke at some point. I um, but anyways, uh, yeah, JJ McCarthy, good quarterback. Um, it, there's, there's a reason why you see lots of, um, lots of quarterbacks succeed in the NFL, in my opinion, that are from, uh, that are from non like power schools, right? Like there, there's a reason that you don't see too many, 
Alabama quarterbacks working out great, although Jalen Hurts and two are kind of proving me wrong on that. But you you get what I mean, historically at least. Um, there's a reason why the the Ben Roethlisbergers and, and guys like that that come from smaller schools end up working out because they're not necessarily surrounded by the talent. They do have to rely on themselves more than anyone. So that that is a broad generalization that does not ring true for, for every sample from that. But I will say um, it's very easy to mistake a team's success for a quarterback's success because, frankly, quarterbacks are talked about a disproportionate amount of time. Um, um, it's the most important position in sports, and yet we still somehow talk about it too much. So um, it really uh, it really goes to show that, you know, it, it's not wins aren't a quarterback stat. Sometimes losses are, um, but wins are not a quarterback stat. And, and being surrounded by the right team certainly helps, um, certainly helps you out. So uh, Mike Penix um, being second, I think, is is a harsh reaction to to the slugfest that was Arizona State. Now, was that Mike Penix's uh, worst performance of the year? Undoubtedly, by far. Hopefully, he doesn't do worse in any other game because then maybe we should have second thoughts about him potentially. But he has the best quarterback performance out of anyone this year, I, I think by a, a pretty good bit um, in the Oregon game, obviously. Um, definitely the best resume win. Um, and I think, uh, I, I think it's a little bit of a harsh reaction, at least in the betting odds are, are meant to appeal to the public, right? It's not necessarily, um, the most accurate it's meant for, you know, the, the casual fan that may be watching. I, I, it's, it's surprising to me at least, um, that after all this going on with Michigan, after Penix's performance, just not even two weeks ago that he, he already had bumped down to number two. So um, that's my opinion, at least. If I had a ballot, uh, I'd be Penix, and and I don't know who I would put in that second one. Obviously, Bo Nix would be higher up the list than he is. I do want to talk one thing. Um, when does when does the door open for a non quarterback to win the Heisman? Right, it's when there's not a, a clear first quarterback, in my opinion. Now you could argue that you know. Devonta Smith won it over, you know, the clear number one, Kyle Trask a couple of years ago and some stuff like that. The clear statistics, Jackson, but um, come on, Jackson, I'm just saying he was clearly statistically. You couldn't say that with a straight face, Jackson. I Come on. He on film the best quarterback. So I don't know. Did you watch? That's the why he's starting the Buccaneers right now, right? The clear did, cut number. Did, that's why that's why he started you, the Buccaneers, right? Since when is NFL uh since when is NFL snap shares like relevant to Heisman talk, Omar? My gosh. No, Jackson. Um, what what I see, I'm just I'm just keeping you honest, Jackson. I, I I'm keeping you honest. Hey, I'm just saying, clear number one quarterback, but I, I digress. Um, when does really? the door open? Okay. It's okay, when Jackson. there's not necessarily a clear number one quarterback, because for the most part, this is a quarterback award. I'm saying if Penix has another performance like that again, if McCarthy, if one of two things happens to McCarthy, if he starts to happen, have something happen like it did with Penix, um, or something more is made off of all of this sign stealing stuff, if Jaden Daniels has three losses, if Jordan, if Florida State ends up being their usual Florida State selves and doesn't finish out the season strongly, if Dylan Gabriel looks good but not great. If Bo Nix continues to be 
Bo Nix, where sometimes it's great, sometimes it's okay, and Oregon does have the season they won. I'm saying Marvin Harrison Jr. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I went through all the quarterbacks that are ahead of him right now. Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't not look like the best player in college football right now. So I'll leave it Okay, at I will say this. I, I mean, you make a great point about there not being a clear-cut one, but I think we forget the last – I think the last great Heisman race that we've had in recent memory was 2021, right, where people don't realize it, but Bryce Young was a game-ending drive against Auburn away from not winning the Heisman. He doesn't take Alabama – I guess I think it was like 98 or 99 yards down the field to up to send the game to overtime. Then he's not winning the Heisman. Kenny Pickett's winning the Heisman. And even then, I'd say that – Kenny Pickett was not the definitive best quarterback in the country. Kenny Pickett just had great stats and he took Pitt to levels that they had not seen in years. Um, and even then we remember that after Kenneth Walker in the last weekend of October against Michigan, he was a Heisman front runner and it took Michigan state's past horrible pass defense had to have CJ Stroud throw for a million yards and a bunch of touchdowns against Michigan state for Kenneth Walker to be a non-factor in that game. We pushed out of the Heisman. So I don't think it's as much as they're not being a clear cut, like number one quarterback. I think you mentioned Marvin Harrison, Marvin Harrison um, Jr. Who's having a great year, but he still only has 42 catches. And I mean, three catches against Notre Dame, um, you know, that I don't, I don't think that's as, as great a performance really. I mean, in one of the more marquee games, maybe, maybe against Ohio, sorry, maybe against uh, Michigan. I feel like if it's, if a receiver is going to win the Heisman, there's two things that they have to have a lot of catches and a lot and a lot of touchdowns. I don't think you can be a deep threat guy, which Marvin Harrison is a great deep threat, 18 yards a catch, but you have to be a high volume guy, I think, to win the Heisman at receiver. Uh, because Desmond Howard, I think, had 18 passing or receiving touchdowns in 91, along with his returning exploits. Devontae, Devontae um Smith had over 100 catches, 600 yards, and returned a couple punts, including and returned a few punts, including one for a touchdown. So high volume guys, with that being said. Um well, which I think that's a great segue to the position talk because we're I think I think we should talk about the fair catch heard around the world with Cooper DeGene for Iowa. And this moment, man, uh for me, I didn't realize. So the funny so funny story from this weekend, right? I'm like watching this as um I'm picking up food for uh for my unit for uh in the in the for during our exercise. And I'm like watching it on my phone while I'm waiting for our pallet to be loaded. And I I closed I closed my peacock after I saw that. Iowa had returned the touchdown. I tweeted out on my like, Cooper DeGene needs to be a Heisman finalist only to find out, I think two hours later that they found out that, that, that they, that they called it a fake fair catch. And I was just devastated. I'm like, I, I should have paid attention more. I should have like not closed right away after, after like, after they scored. Cause I thought the game was over. There's no way Iowa was going to allow a touchdown. But that being said, if Cooper DeGene returns that touchdown, Jackson, do you think he is a legitimate Heisman candidate just because of how bad Iowa's offense is and how, because this wasn't his first game winning punt return. He returned a punt for a touchdown against Michigan state to, um to win that game as the go ahead touchdown. So I think Cooper DeGene would have had as good an argument as any player in the country for a Heisman had he returned that punt for a touchdown. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to walk through this all too logically, right? Um, if Iowa wins that game with the, you know, however they win it, doesn't matter, punt return for a touchdown, whatnot. Um, what is the likely path that they take to the postseason playing in the Big Ten championship? Right. You're thought of like as on paper, definitely not, but on paper and equal to the opposing division champion, right? 
who can be the opposing division champion this year? One of those teams, Michigan, right? Um, you said Iowa just are that that he had a, a punt return for a touchdown to win the game against Michigan State. What did Michigan just do against Michigan State? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So I don't think like you should need a punt return to beat Michigan State, in my opinion. Um, and Heisman winners typically don't come from teams that can't beat a team like Michigan State with East. So I'll put it to you that way. I think that he should be maybe be definitely talked about for special teams player of the year. I think that would be like Ed or whatever. I'm I'm blanking on the, the award name for that, but Johnny the Jet Rogers Award. Absolutely, definitely should be a front runner, uh finalist, whatnot, uh, for that award. But uh for for Heisman, un- unfortunately, no. Yeah, I mean, I, I, see, I see your point, but it's like, again, like the scenario exists. We're, we're in a world of hypotheticals right now, um, you know, where Iowa could could have hypothetically gone 11 and one and hypothetically beat Michigan in the Big Ten title game. Right. You know, you know, crazy things have happened. Like we just saw Virginia beat North Carolina. Like, like, I don't think anyone saw that coming. I mean, like just like just last week, people were saying, will UVA go winless this year? Well, not last week, sorry. I guess before they played William and Mary, people were saying, Will UVA go winless? So crazy things have happened. So wanna throw that out as a thought experiment. That's that's what podcasts are. All podcasts are, are thought experiments, you know, especially like ours where we talk about award scenarios, which a thought experiment for you, Jackson. I know you have a certain disdain for the service academies as as you have mentioned very various times throughout our show over the years in your picking against service academies. And I wanna bring an interesting argument to the table um you i i don't i okay whoa hold on a minute i do not pick against you know i i do not pick against service academies now will i occasionally uh pick against army to raz you absolutely i'm not phased by it i i I rarely have to raz you because more often than not when i pick against them it's because they're playing the better football team so Boston College, you gave me, you gave me some uh, some words about against Army in twenty twenty one. You picked Miami of Ohio to beat us in twenty twenty one, and they lost. Talking about talking about Brett Gabbert because you talked about your boy Blake yeah, Gabbert. Man, you have a good memory for memory. I do, Jackson. I, I do. We we we, we, right. can, we can do this, Jackson. Never, so, never mind. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, you're exactly, right. Exactly. I lost. So yeah. I was trying to weasel my way out of this. It didn't work. So yeah, you're so right. That being said. That being said, going back, so going back to to I guess the service academy topic, Air Force I think is the best story of the season, and I it's like I hate to say it as an Army fan, but this is a lost year anyway. It's like Army's not going anywhere at this point. Um, I mean, especially after after the last couple weeks, we we've we've been outscored eighty one to nothing the past couple weeks, haven't scored a touchdown in two games. It's like it's like I'm a kid again. I told my mom, I'm like. I think the I think the old days are back, and I kind of wish I didn't take those Armed Forces bowl appearances appearances for granted. But that being said, Air Force is Air Force is eight zero right now. I mean, they are on a roll. Uh, they look like the front runner for the New Year's Six. Of course, they'll have to beat Wyoming again. Um, but sorry, I just got to text my friend Bobby though. Um, about Diego Pavia. One of my favorite quarterbacks is he's watching. I think uh, the Aggies are playing Louisiana Tech right now as we speak. A little bit of Cusa Tuesday action, but. Zach Larrier. I think we should talk about Zach Larrier in the Heisman race because here's my thing, Jackson. So who votes on these awards? Riders. Riders naturally are looking for the best stories, right? And they should generate the best stories and the best points of discussion for the country and for college football fans. 
if that's the case, why is a Heisman race so boring year in, year out? Why is it always the best quarterback on the best team? Why can't we have actual stories, feel-good stories in the Heisman race, right? So looking at Zach Larrier, of course, last week, so Air Force fooled everyone. Air Force said that Zach Larrier, the starting quarterback, was going to be out for a while. And I'm like, oh, man, what a shame. Like, I mean, Air Force could really, like, lose some momentum here. And who trots out to start the game? Zach Larrier. That call that a military call that military operations at its finest, a uh, military deception at its finest. But that being said, like Zach Larrier this year, I mean he's he hasn't had an amazing year. He hasn't had an Eric Crouch type year because Eric Crouch is the gold standard for option quarterbacks. Yeah, I think he had fifteen hundred passing yards, uh, over eleven hundred rushing yards for Nebraska in two thousand one. Um, but looking at Zach Larrier's stats this year so far, he has four hundred ninety seven yards and four touchdowns. With um with I think with four games left to play, I th- actually they're not sorry they're not eight no they're seven no with five games left to play I think that um a thousand yards is reachable he just needs five hundred three yards in five presumably six games with the Mountain West title game to eclipse that mark but I want to direct you surprisingly to his passing stats this year Zach Larrier is twenty four for thirty three six hundred nineteen yards and five touchdowns and yes I know it's not the Joe Burrow twenty nineteen season or Bailey Zappi in twenty twenty one but the efficiency that we're seeing from him um this season uh, from a passing perspective is so special um averaging almost twenty yards per completion throwing a touchdown pass every six passes uh his quarterback efficiency is two hundred eighty point three Jackson. I want to ask you, Jackson, how many Heisman winners have had a higher quarterback uh passing efficiency rating ever in the in the over eighty year history of the award? Uh yeah, over eighty year history of the award, but a lot of it went to non quarterbacks back in the day. Um that is a two hundred eighty passing yeah. two hundred eighty rating. Uh I'm gonna say two. None. No, as None. it stands, as it stands, I know it's just 33 passes, but Larry's 280 uh, passer efficiency rating is the highest of all time in college football history. Of course, would, he doesn't I would qualify. be curious to know if there's any way to find what is the fewest number of passing attempts uh, of a quarterback that won the Heisman. Anyway, to look um, it's not 33. Yeah, I got, I, I think I know it off the top of my head, Jackson. I think it's Angelo Bertelli, which we mentioned, I think, on the podcast a few, a few weeks ago for Notre Dame back in 1943 when he got drafted to the Marines. Angelo Bertelli won the Heisman, uh, despite playing only six games. And I'm looking up his stats right now, they're incomplete, but he, uh, it says right here, uh, 30, he went 25 for 36 with 10 touchdowns and 512 yards. Angel Bertelli in 1943, of course, is a different time, right? Um, yeah, but yeah, a little, little nugget encyclopedia. Wow, also, also, who would have thought that this college football season we would mention Angelo Bertelli twice in this <laughs> this year? Like, that's just that's just crazy to me. Like, if you, if I, you add, add that to the hardware bingo card, uh, Angelo Bertelli yeah, reference, yeah, reference, yeah, Angelo Bertelli. But, as well my thing is yeah like looking back if you compare larrier's stats to um other air force like comparable air force quarterbacks who have gotten heisman votes look at d dallas in 1981 he had 1286 rushing yards and 18 touchdowns and passing the ball he had uh 1285 passing yards and seven touchdowns and then bo morgan was 10th for air force in the 1996 voting 1494 rushing yards and 18 touchdowns as well as eight passing touchdowns and 1200 yards so his stats are a little bit bleaker but you look at the situations those teams 
Air Force in 89 wasn't wasn't a contender for a New Year's Bowl. Uh, in 1996, Air Force wasn't a contender for a New Year's Bowl. In fact, 1996, Air Force went um that year they went I, th- I they I don't I know they didn't make a bowl that year. Um, in 1996, one second, Jackson. 19, in 1996, Air Force went six and five, and somehow their quarterback Bo Morgan was tenth in the Heisman. So makes me think that if Air Force is able to go 13 and 0, that Larrier could get some votes. And that brings me back to Keenan Reynolds in 2015, who finished fifth, but definitely should have been in New York. Some years in New York, like they invite six people to New York, but I don't know why they didn't invite the fifth finisher. But all that being said, what are your thoughts on, I guess, the case for Zach Larrier that I've, you know, presented to you as the honorable Omar Sean Porhoff? I like the the honorable Omar Rashawn Borja. Um, I think that the path is there. Um, it's it's almost in a very strange way good that that conversation is not taking place commonly yet. Um, because for that to really happen, you need the conversation to heat up in November, preferably mid to late November. So. Air Force's season is is not necessarily all in front of them, but the the hype around them is as other group of five teams start uh, cannibalizing them each other. Whatever you need to happen, quite frankly, um, to take place uh, for Air Force to be the the clear front runner New Year Six, New Year Six group of five team, right? And if Air Force can can be that clear front runner for the the New Year Six Group of Five representation, then uh, the path is there for the the main uh, mainstream media in sports to talk more about him. And I yeah, absolutely, I can see the path. But it's good it hasn't taken place yet. You don't want to peak in October in your Heisman campaign, but it, it definitely can take place. Yeah, so I mean that I I agree. Like I mean I I don't think it'll heat up, and I don't think he'll even get many votes. I feel like he'll bottom out. Like his ceiling is tenth in the in the Heisman voting, but you look at Keenan Reynolds. Like Keenan Reynolds' Heisman run in twenty or or I guess run to to the to run to excuse me run to finishing fifth in the Heisman voting in twenty fifteen was fueled by narrative, um and just storytelling, just great storytelling because this is the guy that was pursuing the all time touchdown record in college football ended up getting it um and honestly like yeah I guess I guess it was his best year I was gonna say like, it didn't seem like his best year but against like against better competition like, against Notre Dame like Keenan Reynolds did not have a great game I think Navy got beat like 42 to 24 in that game and then against Houston Greg Ward and Houston ended up getting that peach bowl bid that year um like they he didn't have a great game in that one either so even despite that he got fifth in the highest because of the great storytelling so I can imagine the same thing with Zach Larrier and and also too, um, I th- I think Zach Larry already had his Heisman moment. The ninety four yard touchdown pass against Navy early on in the first quarter that really set the tone for that game. Like I think that's probably the, like one of the best Heisman moments of any candidate we're talking about right now. Plus, like some of his passing his passing lines too were um were were good. Like are are just amazing. Like six for seven, one hundred eighty nine yards against San Diego State and one hundred one rushing yards on eight carries. He's just so efficient. Like the workload's not there. He's just so efficient. And then four or five for 141 yards or 151 yards against Navy. So uh, let's let's close the book on Larry. You're there. But I just want to say I, I do want to point out, and this is something I'm always fascinated by is multi-sport athletes playing 
Um, he won. The, don't, don't forget, Larry won the Mountain West Indoor Championship in the two hundred meters. Uh, back oh, in twenty really? one. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. So like he's that. fast. Like don't forget that. So. So yeah, I guess we can go through our games of the week now. But yeah, just know that the Zach Larry for Heisman campaign. Hopefully, I think we're the podcast to kick it off. I'm I'm excited to see where this goes because I'm all for it. Even though I'm an army fan, it's great for military football. It really is because the the academies are all in this together. But going on to my games of the week, I'm gonna go uh with a two for one deal for uh Thursday night games. The Thursday night slate is pretty spicy on ESPN and CBS Sports Network. I'm gonna start off with a little bit of neck at night action. With the Northeast Conference, the NEC at night, the first game, uh, Cole Doyle showed out. I mean, I'll be telling my kids about the Cole Doyle game on Thursday night football uh, for St. Francis against Wagner. This week, we have LIU versus Central Connecticut State. Um, both programs have struggled this year. LIU was one in six, but they did perform strongly against Baylor. Um I know in that game, they only trailed Baylor by nine points at halftime, which is something that is almost unthinkable for an NEC team to trail only nine points at halftime against a Big 12 school. And um, they have a strong defense. I mean, they, they've been very competitive throughout this year. They uh, competed well against Maine, a CAA school, losing only 24 to 13. Um, but for LIU, you're going to see one of the best defensive players in the country in Eric O'Neill, a guy that definitely should get a lot of Walter Payton votes. Or not Walter Payton, sorry, Buck Buchanan award votes. He has 15 and a half TFLs so far this year. And he'll be tasked with trying to stop Elijah Howard, who at this point is one of the hottest running backs in the country. Um, he has 552 yards this year on the ground, six yards of carry. But he had a two-game run in late September and early October where he ran for 16 carries for 146 yards against Brown and 23 carries for 257 yards against Delaware State in honestly one of the best games of the year. That was a 51-44 shootout out there in, um, I think I think they're in New Britain, Connecticut um, for Central Connecticut State. So CBS Sports Network, 7 o'clock Eastern, be there for neck at night and also have a screen at the same time, at the, at the very same time on for South Carolina State versus North Carolina Central, where our guy, Davius Richard, so I really thought that those third that these him having two Thursday night games in a row would put him at an advantage in the Walter Payton race because you know we're not talking much about the Walter Payton race, but this is a good time to talk about it with Davius Richard. Of course, he's missed one and a half games, missed the Mississippi Valley State game and, and exited the UCLA game early. But this year, he's just been a force to be reckoned with. 949 passing yards, six touchdowns on the ground, too. 377 rush yards and 10 touchdowns. I know you compared him to Cam Newton. He can really, against South Carolina State, a program that has a reputation for playing strong defense. Think about Shaq Leonard, Dakobe Durant, um, and just so much, and also Javon Hargrove under Buddy Pugh in his last year now at South Carolina State. He has a chance to just really reinvigorate the talk for the Walter Payton Award against South Carolina State, a team that has a strong pass rush with three players with over five and a half tackles for loss. So do not do not even think about subscribing to Amazon Prime. Do not even turn on your laptop or turn on your Roku TVs or smart TVs to Amazon Prime. Just watch South Carolina State and North Carolina Central and LIU and Central Connecticut State, and you will be just fine. That's what I'm doing. I've not watched a single Thursday night football game this year. As a Tampa, as a as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan, and as a Al Michaels fan and Kirk Herbstreit fan, Al um, Michaels is kind of washed, Jackson. Let, let's both not, face it. I will not be. I will not be uh, participating in that. I'll have one screen on the Prime Vision cast and one screen on one of the alternate broadcasts that Prime Video does offer. Um. So, because uh, I'm all in on on Tampa Bay football, can't really focus on anything else. Although, 
Although, if you are not a Tampa Bay fan, these are two great alternatives that you should tune in. If Even if you're a Buccaneers fan. If only, uh, if only to see Chris Howe's throwing motion for Long Island for the Long oh Island. Oh, my Sharks. gosh. Yeah. So I was trying to avoid that. If Chris Howe's throwing motion, you should tune in to, to, uh, to the CBS Sports Network to watch that one. So. I was trying to avoid the the, the talk about a throwing motion because I'm like these, sorry, I had to. I they had deserve to. to be more than memes. Like players deserve to be like the players on both these teams. Like this is a rare opportunity for national exposure. I just think they should be seen as more than just gimmicks. You know, like yeah, Chris House is funny throwing motion, but Eric O'Neill is one of the best defensive players in the country, bar none. Like let, he, let's talk about that instead. If you know what more, if he had more all-purpose touchdowns and interceptions, I wouldn't just mention that. But Ouch, um, okay. Wow. Uh, I'm playing. Um, He's fresh. He's a freshman. His first career start was on the road against a tough Baylor team. That's not a knock on Chris Howe at all. Chris Howe is, um, is as adequate as a quarterback there and got thrown into a rough situation. So, uh, that, that is not meant to be a shade, not a hater. I just want to specify. I'm just saying, I mean, mean, it's easy to score. It's easy to to be competitive against Baylor. You know, I mean, what what can you say? I'm I'm playing. I knew I'd get a reaction. I knew I'd get a reaction. That's low. Um, I'm going to go with my game of the week to watch. I'm going to go with UNLV Fresno state. Uh, really the winner has an inside track to play, uh, against air force in the mountain West conference championship against the air force Academy. Um, so excited, excited for that one. Um, I will say Fresno State, man, they have they have really like outplayed all of the expectations that I had, yes. quite frankly, um, for uh, once they lost Jake Hayner. I didn't think it would be good, but uh, man, they've they have found a way and credit to them. Yeah, I mean, honestly, so I, I saw UNLV play when they came down to El Paso. My dad came down and visited, and I, I love UNLV's scheme because they have done things that I've just not seen running the ball. Uh, they run a shotgun scheme. It's not really a shotgun option, but they'll do things where both running backs are on one side of the quarterback in the shotgun, which, like, that's just a thing I've never seen. They'll run And they'll run a triple option out of it, and they run it very well. And, it, I mean, and talk about a team that's overcome adversity. I know Doug Brumfield was, you know, the starting quarterback at the beginning of the year. Like, we were high on Doug Brumfield. Even last year, uh, I remember us having a podcast saying, like, uh, if Doug Brumfield plays well against Notre Dame, like, Doug Brumfield's going to be in the Heisman race, right? Uh, but this year, like, you know, they have responded well after an injury to Doug Brumfield to Jaden Maiava. Maiava runs the ball pretty well at quarterback from what I saw. Um, and this is the team, like, you say an inside track, like, in a in an insane situation, like we, we could look at a team, a UNLV team, because UNLV has Air Force, right? They play Air Force. If UNLV beats Air Force, could UNLV be the front runner for the New Year's Six? They beat Vanderbilt. They have more Power Five wins two, than Tulane, and they have a win over Air Force. And they also play Wyoming. They got Wyoming at home. They don't have to play in the altitude. They play them at Allegiant Stadium. Um, so this is definitely like, honestly, who would have thought that Fresno state UNLV would have had new year six implications. So that's what I'm excited for. I mean, I don't think people realize that realize, I guess, how good UNLV is this year. No, generally UNLV has had a sneaky good season and, uh, they have the chance to upset a Fresno state team that was on the radar coming into the year. Um, if only for their, their performance last year, despite the loss of talent, but, uh, they, they have a chance to really ruin that. So. 
My next game of the week to watch, I'm going to go with Holy Cross at Fordham. Um, I bet we could both talk about this one for a while. Uh, uh, man, what a thriller last year. Man, a 53-52 Holy Cross win. Holy Cross coming out of a really disappointing loss. I know you had Lafayette ranked, uh, so I'll give you credit there. But a lot of a lot of people didn't uh, did not expect that loss coming. Fordham, on the other hand, coming off of their bye week. Fordham has like a really solid receiving room, not necessarily the yes. depth, but some top end talent with MJ Wright, Garrett Cody, Mackay Felton, each with four or five receiving touchdowns and a combined 1300 yards. Um, so man, that'll be a fun one. I'm excited to see uh, not only who wins this game in the, in the race in the, the, in the league, but in the conference, but man, I'm excited to see how Holy Cross responds to a loss like that because, like we talked about before the show, they haven't really seen a failure like this in a minute. So, yeah, I think the Patriot League has a lot of depth this year. I'm really impressed by the depth because uh, Fordham's one loss in the Patriot League is to uh, is is to Georgetown. Georgetown, the perennial cellar dweller of the Patriot League, they play in a 3,000 seat stadium. My first college football, or sorry, my second college football game was a Holy Cross Georgetown game. Georgetown has never been good, but they beat Fordham. For Holy Cross, I think the run's over because it like the MIAC, the the Patriot League conference season has little room for error because it's a six game season. And they already need Lafayette to drop a game and they need well they need Lafayette to drop two games out of the remaining, I think, four conference games, which I just don't think is going to happen with the rest of the Patriot League. But yeah, Fordham loves to air the ball out. You'll see like a contrast of styles, obviously. I mean, Tim Demorat still waiting for him to join the National Spring Football League. And um, yeah, the receiving room is always great. Like last year, they had Fotis Kokoshulis, um, an amazing receiver. And they almost beat Ohio, which uh, speaking of Ohio, I'm going to power through my last two games to watch. We got Ohio versus Miami of Ohio. And Ohio really needs this game, honestly, to have the tiebreaker over Miami of Ohio because both teams have one loss in the MAC. And this game honestly could be the clincher for the MAC East. I mean, who would have everyone thought that Ohio would be the 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 you know the best team in the MAC East, but it just really hasn't looked that way. Uh, but Miami of Ohio has looked great on multiple occasions. Last week against Toledo, though, the conference looks like Toledo's to lose at this point. Uh, lost 21-17 to to Toledo. But your boy, Jackson, uh, Brett Gabbard, is having a solid year at quarterback. Uh, 14 touchdowns, five picks, and then two rushing touchdowns on the ground. Um, just a great game, honestly, for the MAC. Uh, both teams are 6-2, and two, I think. 6-2 and two or 5-2. and two. I got to check. 5-2, and two, I think. Yeah, both teams are six and two. So both teams will be in prime position for Motown. Uh, and then going on to my last game of the year or last game of the week, we got Mercer versus Western Carolina. And I'll admit it, I wrote off the Mercer Bears time and time again uh, earlier this year. But they have a legitimate chance at an at-large spot with the win against Western Carolina. Western Carolina, who's ranked in my top five in the SES poll and pretty highly ranked. I mean, if they beat if they beat Western Carolina right now, I mean, you're looking at a team that could enter the the postseason with a eight and three record and with only losses to two ranked SoCon teams and a loss to Ole Miss. Um, they have great receiver talent. Ty James on defense. Salman Zubairu has nine TFLs. Western Carolina is arguably the best running back in FCS with Desmond Reed, 872 yards and 12 touchdowns, seven and a half yards per carry. For Western Carolina, this game is particularly important for seeding purposes. And I'll briefly review, review the FCS seeding procedures where the top eight teams, the top eight seeded teams in the country get a bye week and get to host a second round game, which is huge. And they get home field advantage against, you know, teams that aren't seeds throughout the playoffs and, and lower seeded teams. So getting a seed for Western Carolina is huge. And this game is important for it. But I feel like since the pandemic season, we've been wanting Mercer to make the playoffs. 
and they they just been disappointing us. So if they beat if they beat Western Carolina, they'd be easy bro the rest of the way to go eight and three, and get the playoff to get their first ever playoff appearance. So those are my games of the week to watch. I have my last game of the week to watch. I am going to go with the Power Five in this one: Oregon State at Arizona. Believe it or not, it's their first matchup since 2019. Something that I want to speak to is Oregon State's efficiency. They're a top 15 scoring offense, despite being 40th or worse in every other major major offensive statistical category. Uh, we've seen Arizona be really competitive and almost win games that they necessarily shouldn't, uh, i.e. USC. Um, and Arizona, I'll, I'll say Oregon State's defense, it's probably the best that Arizona's uh, that it probably the best defense Arizona is going to face all year, but they haven't seen receivers like Cowling and McMillan. That's a duo that Oregon State is uh, is going to have to scheme for, for sure. So um, not as much of a meaningful race in their respective conference as some of these others that we've mentioned, but did want to obviously mention that. So two of my games are 1030 Eastern kickoff games um, and on the East Coast here. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, man, but um. That's it for me. You got any, you got anything else, brother? Before we hop off? No, I, I don't have anything else because uh, looking at the chat, looks like uh, you know, you got some, you got some food. You got it. Oh got yeah, a nice food's dinner here, man. Waiting for you. Food's here, man. Food's here. So. Dinner date's waiting for you. And uh, looking at your body <laughs> language, you know, you got to go soon. But I just got to say, you know, watch over Zach Wager for Heisman. I mean, and you know, just keep watching college football. We got some Ivy League Friday night as well. Brown versus Penn. Forgot to mention. I got to mention Ivy League Friday night. I'm sorry. Brown is way more the competitive this is year. Back. An American tradition like no other. So I, exactly. I am actually going to watch. I am actually going to watch. So. Yeah, I mean Harvard Cornell drew 153,000 viewers on ESPN two. Like that is amazing numbers for Eddie. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I mean Penn is is having a great year. They look like they look like the front runner in the Ivy League after Harvard lost to a really I wouldn't say a really bad but a uncharacteristically bad Princeton team. So against Brown, the country will get to see the Ivy League front runners. And this is a team that looks like they can go nine and one this year. I don't see anything stopping Penn from going nine and one. Player to watch for the Penn Quakers is Aiden Sayan, who has 1781 yards and 11 touchdowns. And of course, if you're an NFL fan, you know that they that Penn has great receiving talent. Justin Watson on the Chiefs, the probably the most well-known player in that receiver and tight end, tight end core among Taylor Swift fans on that team. Um, a Penn graduate, Justin Watson, my favorite receiver on the Chiefs. This year, they got Jared Richardson, who has 500 receiving yards in six games. So with that, I got to show some love to Brown, too, actually, Jackson. One, and, one and a brief reminder that the regular season is everything in the Ivy League. There is no postseason, so you really got to win it all. Uh, where it matters yeah they got and they got this is going to be a great game for the air attack west rocket has 586 receiving yards and three touchdowns for the brown bears with jake wilcox a great quarterback following an ej perry electric ej perry's footsteps michigan panthers great um so that's all i gotta say didn't forget about ivy league friday night and i'll be planning my friday date night around that but until next time everyone peace love and soul